Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 22nd of November, 2022. Happy Tuesday to you, ladies and gentlemen. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. And appreciate you entering to win the autographed either uh, Anne Rice or Donald Trump book. That's right. Donald Trump. Uh Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Check it out. Sign up. Support the program. Support uh, the kids at Christmas, won't you? Appreciate everything you guys do to help spread the word about this show. So thank you very much. All right, let us get on with the program, shall we? There are lots of things going on and tons of things to talk about. Uh, The World Cup has officially started, and the controversies surrounding the World Cup have officially started. Now, I love it. It's the controversies, as you hear it. Whenever you hear the word controversy, it's code for liberals are upset, for the leftism. It's a controversy if leftists are upset. It's just complaints from right-wingers if conservatives are upset. But if it is a leftist who has any issue whatsoever with whatever it is, they go, oh, the controversy surrounding X, Y, and Z. You're like, no, no, no. Some jackass college professor or some left-wing organization or whatever it is, something to do with virtue signaling, that's all it is. It has nothing to do with reality. It's just some lefties are, are whining about it. Like, okay. It's amazing. to. It must be nice to have that kind of power and influence that you just complain about something and suddenly the whole world cares or whatever. But the latest outrage isn't that they've banned beer, although the English fans are very upset that they banned beer. I mean, can you imagine if you're Budweiser and you dropped $75 million promoting this uh, feces show? And then suddenly, a couple of days before, literally a couple of days before, after you've shipped tons of cases of beer over, like they're ready, you've shipped them enough beer to buy it all, to buy it, to, to, to keep everybody drunk throughout the entire one month of the tournament. You shipped it over there, it's piled up in a warehouse, and the royal family goes, eh, nah, I don't think so. We're going to ban that beer. What's funny is you, you watch these Middle Eastern countries, not, maybe not all of them and certainly not all of the people, but they have these rules. And I've heard story after story after story from people who would be in a position to know, particularly about Saudi Arabia, but Qatar is going to be the same thing. The people, human nature is, uh, is human nature. It doesn't matter what is going on, where it's coming from. But they say, oh, you go to Saudi Arabia and then you fly out of Saudi Arabia and everybody's all prim and proper. And you got and even the royal family, the people who some people I've known have flown on uh, the private 747s or whatever with some members of the royal family. And they uh, say as soon as they get on the plane, off comes the traditional garb. And on goes the Western garb, the T-shirts, the shorts, the jeans, the whatever. And out come the booze. And off go the headscarves for the women, and it becomes a little party jet. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. They have to put on a show. 
in town. Do you think inside those gigantic palaces that they're sitting there going, well, we must uh, adhere to all of uh, Islamic faith? No, they're not doing that. Some people maybe are, but in general, they're not. It's part of control. Some people genuinely believe it, but for government officials, it's part control. So that's why I think Budweiser was blindsided by this beer thing. UK Daily Mail has a thing. Thousands of Budweiser cans have been left piled up in warehouses after the 11th hour decision to ban sale of alcohol in stadium. Now, it's, they say thousands of Budweiser beer cans. And you sit there and you go, well, thousands of, yeah, probably drank that at a frat house on a weekend. No, this is a giant warehouse with tens of thousands of cases. That would say thousands of pallets of beer. I don't know who wrote the lead to this story, but it's poorly written. The beverage giant had been announced as one of the sponsors of the tournament and had been granted a monopoly to sell beer on the grounds, but is now only able to sell its alcohol-free version of its beer there. Furious football fans started demanding refunds from World Cup bosses when the decision was made on Friday, uh, understood to be following pressure from the Qatari royal family. It has left Budweiser facing the prospect of large amounts of stock now going to waste, the Sun reports. However, it has now offered the cans of beer to the nation that comes out victorious following the tournament. So, win. Uh, well, you know what? They're already going to get liquored up, whoever won. But I guess that's a useful thing to do. Look, Budweiser, it's probably a drop in the keg, if you will. But it is... Um, just a sign of the times. Like why, why would you expect a leopard to change its stripes? Qatar is Qatar is Qatar. And you can sit there and say and complain, and I have pointed out the slave labor used to make the facilities and the stupidity in general, just what the hell, of having a uh, soccer tournament. In the, It was supposed to be over the summer. At least they changed it to as close to winter as they get over in Qatar. But they uh, they had this thing planned in the summer where the average temperature is like 120 degrees. Like, what did you, th- how did you think that was going to work? How did you think that was going to work out? If you uh, are people dropping dead, games are going on right now. It's, it's uh, 5 p.m. It's 77 degrees. And see, they got winter temperatures. Highs and looking at my iPhone for Doha. As the temperatures are in the 80s and 90s for the highs. So maybe they won't kill anybody <laughs> this time. But in the summertime, it's 120 degrees. What the hell were they thinking was going to happen? Well, they weren't thinking. They were taking the bribe money that they were getting from Qatari officials and going, oh, you know what? They got enough money, they'll figure it out. And apparently they spent $200 billion. Qatar did. 200 billion dollars building like six or eight stadiums around. I don't know how many groups there are, but six or eight stadiums. Unlike most times, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, had to have been 94, maybe 98, but 94 comes to mind, when the World Cup was in the United States. And I remember that because one of the... uh, brackets or whatever was in Pontiac, Michigan at the Silverdome, which is now a ghost town. Sad watching that thing deteriorate. 
But it was out there. They, I remember Michigan State University, a big story was that they had invented grass that grows inside so they could have grass inside at the, uh, the Silverdome. But if you, they had games in, I think, Chicago, games in New York, games somewhere down south, somewhere, I don't know where, and uh, a couple other places around the country. And in Los Angeles, they had, like, the finals. I assume they had preliminary rounds out there in L.A. too. So they were all around the country. People had, and that seems to be the tradition. You go to, say, France wins the World Cup for this time, and they don't have eight soccer, giant soccer stadiums sitting around Paris. They've got them all around the country because they have a professional sports league. So they use, you know, like one's 500 miles that way, one's 600 miles the other way, whatever. And you have to end up flying around these countries to see all the games, to cover the games. In Doha, they're all within, I read this morning, I think it was 36 miles of each other, like 36 miles in the center of the city in Qatar. So that's interesting. That means that they built these things from scratch. They built six or eight, maybe more, but I think it's six or eight, stadiums, professional-sized stadiums that house, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 people, whatever it was, from scratch, from scratch, from absolutely nothing. That's going to cost money. So they spent $200 billion building this thing up. And they got, the weird thing is that that money that $200 billion is an enormous sum of money, especially when you consider that they essentially paid the people from Indonesia they flew in to build the stuff next to nothing. So they had essential slave labor building this stuff, and they still managed to spend $200 billion. It'll be interesting to see if this thing, they had 10 years or whatever to get this together. It'll be interesting to see. I have seen some reports unconfirmed as of yet on social media about how various facilities and various this, that, and the other things are uh, aesthetically fine, but for practical purposes, not so good. Meaning if you look at it from 20 feet away, it looks great. Wow, that's wonderful. If you look at it up close, it's kind of falling apart. They had to hurry to build this thing in the end because it turns out that corruption and slave labor might not be the most skilled labor you could possibly. It might not be the ideal circumstances for building things. What will be interesting to see is if these facilities hold. See, if you build a stadium for 80,000 people, and you don't run in, and they, you know, run in and out 80,000 people, I don't know, 12 times or whatever it is. You can't really simulate running in and out 80,000 people 12 times. You can't really simulate having 80,000 people jumping up and down and screaming. I'm not saying anything's going to happen. I'm just saying I'd be a little suspect. I remember I saw concert, I'll date myself a little bit. Uh, ex-girlfriend of mine and I and my friend Rob went and saw uh, The Cult and Lenny Kravitz opened for The Cult or it was The Cult and Lenny Kravitz I can't remember which way it was but we went and saw them at the Fox Theater in the 90s at some point the Fox Theater is built in the teens or the 20s in downtown it's a beautiful theater Mike Illich, the Illich family that uh, created Little Caesars Pizza and owns the Tigers and the Red Wings and everything they uh he restored it 
it was apparently like most other things in Detroit abandoned for a long time. It restored it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I'm sitting there and we're, we're about three rows on the main floor, about three rows up from where the balcony is. Right. So you're, you're about meaning about halfway up the floor. So we're just clear of the balcony. It seemed like, and I remember during she sells sanctuary or my mama said, or whatever that song was, uh, Lenny Kravitz or the cult, one of them has the crowd going crazy and I'm having a good time. We're all standing up and I made the mistake of looking up and that old ass wooden balcony was bowing with each beat it seemed to be two or three feet bouncing up and down because everybody up there was bouncing up and down. Now that thing has been through a hell of a lot and it's whatever, almost a hundred years at that point so it wasn't uh probably wasn't going to collapse and it had been restored completely so it probably wasn't going to collapse but i'm sitting there watching that thing going i thank god we're out and like and then i'm trying to calculate now if this thing comes down are we going to get collateral damage are we too close could it still come forward and come down on this i've never seen a balcony like it was terrifying if you ever watch super duper slow-mo of a guy hitting a home run in major league baseball you know where they go around and they that moment that bat makes contact with the ball you see that bat bend and you're like you never noticed that before like what the hell that bat solid you bang that bat on anything it's feels solid as all get out but it moves a couple inches just from hitting a baseball going on 95 miles an hour now imagine a balcony with a couple thousand people made of wood jumping up and down to a concert you go holy crap we're all good they're all gonna die i'm i mean i was ready i was like we we're near the, the the row the aisle i was ready to go running forward if need be um now imagine 80,000 people at a soccer stadium that hasn't really been tested. You just begin to see, I'm not trying to start anything, but you begin to see that I'd feel a little bit, I'd, I'd, I'd want to have a word with the manager. I'd want to have a word with the safety officer. That's all I'm saying. But I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, England is uh, winning and you know I'm sure everything is, will be right as rain. There, nothing to worry about except everybody will be sober, which is the real tragedy, I suppose. Since we've been talking a little bit about the World Cup, I do want to point out one thing that I think is hilarious is the European teams in particular had these plans to massively virtue signal. They still do the, um, what do you call it, the kneeling during their national anthem. It's amazing how stupid these organizations are. And how, we're, look, athletes, professional athletes are not all that bright. They don't have to be all that bright. They have to be good at their game. And then they, uh, they have to be able to uh, pick a new model to date every 20 minutes. And, you know, it's, it's difficult when cheating on your wife to decide who, which model is least likely to sell their story to a tabloid so it's it's a tough situation and it's you know you got to be at the top of your game to figure that out but they uh they virtue signal that's why all their politics are left-wing because all the brand managers and all the marketing people are all left-wingers and they all think that everybody if one thing about a left-winger that's consistent around the world 
is they can't fathom the idea that somebody else, that somebody thinks something else. Somebody thinks... So it used to be like back in the day, I'd imagine you'd uh, hear some kind of racist joke or somebody's ready to tell a racist joke and they kind of give a knowing look like, well, you, you, yeah, we're, we're both this color. We can, we can do it. And it doesn't happen really anymore. But with politics, the left doesn't even give that knowing look. They just kind of assume everybody's, uh, everybody's down with this, right? Boy, those those drag shows are wonderful, are they not? Uh, boy, kids at the age of 10 should be able to have transition surgery. I don't know what the problem is with anybody thinking anything different. And you sit there and you go, and they're shocked. They're always, it's not shocked, they're confused when somebody disagrees with them. They live in that world. So you're dealing with people who, the, the brand managers live in that world where they don't understand that people disagree with them. The uh, front office people do. The athletes don't really give a damn. Most of them don't give a damn. Most of them are just like, all right, I got to get my girlfriend to this event and my wife to this other event. You got to keep track of the busy social schedule. And then what do you do with your tens of millions of dollars? So they uh, go along with just about anything. And they were you, the English team and eight other teams in the World Cup we're all going to wear these virtue signaling armbands. Now, for personally, I, if I'm from Europe, I'd think you know, 1933 through 1945 kind of soured me on the concept of armbands. I wouldn't be in too big of a hurry to remind the world that you know about armbands. But eh, whatever, short-term memories. Like I say, we're not dealing with the brightest people in the world. In soccer, the captain of the team wears an armband while on the field. When they, If they're pulled off the field, they get hurt or whatever, somebody else gets the armband or whatever. But it's just a stupid little armband. It really doesn't make much of a difference. Just like it's, it's more morale now. Maybe back in the day it mattered. I don't know the history of soccer, but in like hockey, I was sort of taught as a kid that the captains and the assistant captains, the one with the C's or the A's on their jerseys, those were the ones who could talk to the refs. I don't think that was true, but I think my coaches might have been drugs. All right, well, it is true. There you go. Learn something new every day. But But you see everybody whining to the refs constantly in these soccer games. So who the hell knows? But they had... An armband designed, and there's Harry Kane at the UK's uh, Daily Mail website. It's got a heart, and it says one love, and it has, it's a red, black, green, pink, yellow, and blue stripes going through it. It's for the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ community to show solidarity with them. At which point you kind of got to go, why'd you hold the... If you care so deeply about the LG, it's it's funny watching these different media outlets. They try and show how much they care by how many letters they throw in there because you could literally have 15, 16 letters in there. But they're trying to show that they care so much. If you care so much, you probably wouldn't have held the event, your premier event, in a country that bans their existence. That outlaws their existence. Just call me crazy. I don't think you'd 
hey, you know, I'm going to have my wedding coming up here, um, and we're going to go have it in some hor- – there isn't really – I'm trying to think of a horrible place in it. Libya. But this open-air slave trade happening there. It's based on whether or not you're just taken. It's, it's not based on much. There's really no horrible place for it. But except for the Middle East, like, oh, I'm going to have my gay marriage in Doha, Qatar. No, you're not. They're not going to welcome you in there. Maybe you shouldn't. Or if you your dream destination wedding is going to be in Doha, but your your best man and your maid of honor are both gay or something, like maybe, or your family or something, maybe you just go, uh, you know what? Probably not going to do it. Probably not a good idea. Maybe we either have an awkward conversation with them about how sorry I've always wanted to get married in 120 degree heat and so that's just the way it's got to be or you go I'm not going to have maybe we'll honeymoon there or something if for some weird reason it's always been your thing well the FIFA the organization that govern the soccer governing board the wildly corrupt organization that sold this year's World Cup to Qatar they um, threatened to punish teams. Now, punish, how do you punish? It's fines, it's whatever. Well, they uh, the teams have now backed down. They made these rainbow armbands for nothing. And the fans are giving them hell, UK Daily Mail. The uh, decision to ask Harry Kane not to wear one the One Love rainbow armband for England's World Cup opener was... Branded spineless by fans today. The armband is a show of solidarity for the LGBT plus community. And Captain Kane has said he wanted to wear it at uh, kickoff at 1 p.m. Homosexuality is still illegal in Qatar. But FIFA has strict rules about apparel, what apparel can be worn by players. And the armband is not allowed under the code. It meant Kane could have faced an immediate booking a red card or a yellow card or whatever, this afternoon if he walked out wearing the One Love band. If he wore it again in the second match, the skipper could have been slapped with another yellow automatic. Okay, so it was a yellow card and then a yellow card. So it makes sense not to wear it, but it also makes sense not to have come up with the concept in the first place. First of all, you know the damn rules, do you not? Secondly, you're going to Qatar. If you care, so if you're... If your focus is, oh, we've got to uh, placate or bow down or show solidarity or whatever to the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ community, maybe don't have the, the contest in a country where they can go to jail for existing. Huh? Because if you're a gay fan of any soccer team, I would think you're insane to go flying over to... Qatar to go, you know what? I'm going to risk jail for my mere existence, but me and my husband, we're really big fans of whales. Uh, not the fish, not the mammal, sorry. Not the mammal, but the uh, the team, the region of the UK. And so we're going to go over there. We're, in, you know, the team from Germany probably goes, no, no, we've, we've seen this song before. We've heard this song before. We're going to go a different route. But maybe you just don't go. Maybe you don't plan it there in the first, if you care so deeply. I don't think they care so deeply. I think they looked at the size of the bribe that they were getting and they said, well, to hell with it. And they just went on. Now, there's a lot of places and there's a lot of debate over this 
online right now. It's really easy to in, uh, debate in this sort of virtue signaling world where you're going, what is, uh, what's really happening here? What's the issue? And it's uh, where in the world, they, they're trying to do the whataboutism. Where in the world could it be held, the World Cup, where there isn't something problematic in there? And it's weird watching like someone like Piers Morgan. I don't often agree with Piers Morgan, but I've always found his arguments to be interesting. On this case, I found his argument to be boring and typical. And it was that uh, there's no place, if you're going to start with the, boy, we shouldn't go to a country that uses slave labor to build their football stadiums, and boy, we shouldn't go to a country where they will imprison you for being gay or something like that, then you have to judge every country as harshly. And he's talking about the UK and their history of colonialism. Like, oh my God, really? Really? 200 years ago, somebody did something from this country that was uh, we now, by today's moral standards, find reprehensible. And therefore, we shall ever for brand the, the no country, then don't have it. Have the world, how big is it as uh, an aircraft carrier? Set up like uh, six, eight aircraft carriers out in the ocean and have the games on aircraft carriers. That seems to be the only, although the, where are those aircraft carriers from? And when it came to the U.S., this is uh, just your stark reminder that while Piers Morgan does say some things that he, you will go, oh, yeah, occasionally, and he is employed by Fox. He is not a conservative. For the U.S. complaints, he said, well, we should, should we not have a tournament in the United States because of the, the rolling back of reproductive rights for women? Yeah, maybe you just play the game. Maybe you shut up and play the game. And if you want to have the take the bribe to put it in Qatar, take the bribe and put it in Qatar. Own it. A lot of people got rich. They stimulated various economies by taking these bribes to have the tournament in Qatar. Be proud of it and go, you know what? They built some really cool stadiums. Man, they'll probably hold up. And that's all we know and that's all we care about. And to hell with everything else. And you know what? This isn't a gay tournament. This is a sport. This sport doesn't have anything to do with what kind of sex you have. We don't care. Own it. Maybe that would be the way to go. Because those are the two choices. You either own it or you don't have it in a place that has something reprehensible about it, either currently or in its past. You can't go to China, they're committing genocide. You can't go to Russia, they're committing genocide. You can't, they're invading their neighbors too. You can't have it in most of Africa because their histories of genocide. You say, well, what, just read a book. There's nowhere on Antarctica. All right, how about we do that? Antarctica seems to be the only, except somebody will kill a penguin and it'll be all over. Maybe we just need to cancel the World Cup. That'd be the only thing that would keep these whiny little brats placated i don't know or they could just shut up and grow up but nobody's going to tell them that for some weird reason since we're talking about uh, england and uh, soccer and everything, there's other stuff out of there aside from soccer and i i can't believe this story is still ongoing you hear about these isis brides remember isis thanks to president trump isis pretty much been decimated they're making a little bit of a comeback thanks to joe biden I've never seen any anybody work 
more against the interests of the United States of America for the simple it's well I would say for the simple reason of to spite his predecessor but it could also be that he's just wildly corrupt and is getting money from this somehow you know that that 10% for the big guy and going to pay itself am I right right well, this story out of the UK ISIS bride Shamima Begum will begin a new attempt to overthrow the decision to revoke her UK citizenship today as she continues to fight to return to the UK. Now, this is one of those stories, It's you, you just say ISIS bride, you kind of know what it is. There were, at the height of ISIS, there was this weird thing, and it just shows you how stupid teenagers are. This weird thing where people, girls... Mostly, although not exclusively, because boys were going off there to fight with ISIS. But girls wanted to go over and be a part of ISIS. And the only thing that that women are to radical Islamic terrorists are uh, baby carriers or receptacles for children. So you, you think you have to be pretty dumb. And you got to assume that there's something in their upbringing, because I don't think there are very many... Well, you know, she was a member of the choir. She had many boyfriends. She had a well-adjusted, normal life. And then suddenly she disappeared to go marry a bunch of Islamic terrorists. I don't think that's the story. I think that the family was, um, I'll just guess that maybe there was some issues there. Begum was 15 years old when she left her home in Bethnal Green, East London, with two fellow pupils, Amira Abbas and Kadiza Sultana, to join the Islamic State in Syria in 2015. 15 years old, kids. Now, how in the hell, you'd ask yourself, how in the hell do high school students manage to travel to an area where you probably have a difficulty getting in? Because they wanted to join. I don't know. I don't honestly care. You've got this burning desire, even as a 15-year-old, and you've followed through on it, and you really only started to express regret once you got caught, leads me to think that I don't probably want you in my neighborhood. Okay. In February 2019, she was found nine months pregnant in a Syrian refugee camp, and her UK citizenship was revoked on national security grounds shortly afterwards. Great. We should do more of this. If you fight against this country, if you leave here to go join a foreign enemy or to give aid and comfort to a foreign enemy, stay there. Just because ISIS is collapsing doesn't mean you get to go back to where you are. And you could say, well, she was only 15. I understand she was only 15. But a lot of the people who are saying she was only 15 are the very same people who are telling you that a 12-year-old can determine their gender for the rest of their lives and should be allowed to butcher their body accordingly. This is a little bit different. There's not societal pressure to come up with that. There aren't really questions. You're, uh, you know, if you sit there and you say, well, okay, you're, you're a, a boy trapped in a girl's body. Why don't you wait a couple years and see if you're still a, think you're a boy trapped in a girl's body? And then maybe we could talk about this once you're 18. But at 15, while, you know, everybody's been 15 and you go, God, there's some weird stuff going on and you have these weird thoughts, whatever. At 15, you know whether or not you can watch a beheading video and think that's awesome or not. You know, if you don't recoil in horror 
at a beheading video by a radical Islamist group, and instead you go, I wonder if the guy with his head completely wrapped, I wonder if he's single. Yeah, no, the guy's sawing through the other guy's neck. I wonder if he's, he's kind of good looking. You think maybe I could go over and meet someone like that because, you know, all the boys in my school are just... If that is your thought process, then I don't know what to tell you. I, I My sympathy, my empathy, my even concern or caring for anything you do or have to say is gone. The 23-year-old has denied any involvement in terror activities. Oh, okay. She just let... She, she found the peaceful wing of ISIS <laughs> and is challenging a government decision to revoke her citizenship. Since being found in Al-Raj camp in southeast Syria, Begum has done a number of TV interviews appealing for her citizenship to be restored, during which she has sported jeans and a baseball cap. Yeah, no, she's totally westernized her appearance because her handlers are not stupid. And it doesn't matter. She may well be genuinely sincere in her understanding now that banging terrorists isn't probably a great career move. But it doesn't matter. There are plenty of people in prison now for life and, and on death row who have done horrible, heinous things, who now realize that it was wrong to do those horrible and heinous things for whatever reason. It could be for everything from because they're spending the rest of their lives in prison or they want to avoid hell to they simply now recognize that what they did was wrong morally. You don't, you don't let them out because of it. First of all, you can never really know what's going on in somebody's mind. Secondly, you did it. You did it. Imagine while well, you're robbing a bank because you want money and then on the way out, there's a whole bunch of police there and all you do is you throw up your arms, you drop the bag and you say, I now realize the error of my ways. Please forgive me. It's all good, right? And they go, yeah, sure. No, no, no. You, well, as long as you feel genuinely bad about what you've done, I don't see any sort of punishment would be beyond cruel and unusual and therefore we're going to let you go. That's not how it works. Even if that conversion is somehow sincere, you're hit with a divine light as you exit the bank and see the error of your ways you still have committed the crime and need to face the punishment in this case the punishment is quite simple you lose your citizenship uh miss sultan was reported killed in uh, sultana was reported killed in a Russian air raid while Miss Abase is missing. So two of her friends, one's dead, the other one is still missing. It has since been claimed that she was smuggled into Syria by a Canadian spy. A special immigration appeals commission hearing to start on Monday at Field House Tribunal Center is expected to last five days. In February 2019, Miss Begum was found nine months pregnant in a Syrian refugee camp. Her British citizenship was revoked on national security grounds shortly afterwards. She challenged the Home Office's decision, but the Supreme Court ruled that she was not allowed leave to enter the UK to pressure her appeal. Begum continues to be held at Al-Raj camp and has lost three children since traveling to the war zone. 
Last summer, during the interview, Begum said she wanted to be brought back to the UK to face charges and added in a direct appeal to the Prime Minister that she would be an asset in the fight on terror. It sounds like her life is absolute hell. It's hard to have sympathy, but it's also hard not to. It's one of those things where it's your first reaction is, I don't care. And then you realize that you're talking about somebody who's lost children and you go, oh, this is terrible. But again, this is all a part of the decision-making process from this girl. She did this. She did this at 15. Okay, fine. But again, I have to reiterate, it's not as though you are uh, misled about your gender identity or something like that. It is the choice between people who murder other people and the people who say that the murdering of other people is wrong. And you chose, she chose, the murdering other people, people. <laughs> and you sit there and you go, even at, even at 15, you know this. Even at 15, you know this. Or at least you should. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a shame she should find new residents. She's in a, a camp in Syria. Wherever ISIS remnants fall, wherever she can find whatever it is. I'm sorry, there comes a certain point at which you've made your bed and you have to lie in it, even if it's lying next to a terrorist. Sorry. Meanwhile, speaking of the... La My God. That you can even parlay this, that you can move from one to the other, is a testament to how polluted leftists in this country have made political discourse. Donald Trump is back on Twitter, right? He's not back on Twitter. He's not doing anything with his being back on Twitter. Elon Musk ran a Twitter poll, and it was pretty close, 51.8 or something like that to 47 points, whatever it was. It was very, very close. It's basically 52-48 proposition and so donald trump's twitter account was reinstated at real donald trump 75 million twitter followers and what have you i've seen people trying to make hay out of that like, oh, <laughs> donald trump has this many twitter followers and ron DeSantis only has this many twitter followers like yeah well one was president and the other one's not out there picking fights on twitter but you know taylor swift has like 100 billion twitter followers so should we make her president like, how about you just not get excited about that and make a case rather than a stupid point? But Donald Trump hasn't returned to Twitter. He doesn't seem to have an interest in returning to Twitter because he's got his money, I think, although there's some reports that he sold his piece of the action, over there on Truth Social. I'm not on Truth Social. I guess I have an account. I joined Truth Social when it was first starting up when you had to like be on a wait list or whatever, and then you got in and I started one, and then I I don't think I've ever used it. I don't think I've ever figured out how to use it. I looked at it a couple of times, and it kept on like insisting that I follow some people that I have no interest in following and people I don't even like as people. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. And I found the thing clunky. Maybe it's changed. I found it clunky to to navigate. But that being said, like Twitter's fine for me. Especially now that, you know, you can 
say, hey, uh, just because somebody declares themselves to be a woman doesn't mean they are a woman, they're still a man. And you can say that without risk of being suspended. Twitter is perfectly fine for me because there are all these, you know, organizations, news organizations, a great place to curate show prep. You retweet things if you want to think of them later or you comment on them and tweet them. You can keep all this stuff or most of your show prep right there in your timeline and figure out, you know, go back through it and figure it out as you go. It's wildly convenient. Why would I go to a place where there's one one hundredth the people? Not going to do it. I'm on social media, not because I love social media. I'm on social media because it serves my purposes. It helps me do show prep. I don't have to go to cbsnews.com. I can just follow or somebody will retweet a CBS News story. And I use CBS deliberately because over the weekend it was hilarious because Donald Trump was reinstated on Twitter. And mind you, he hasn't tweeted. But because he was reinstated on Twitter, CBS News decided that they would pause their use of Twitter to reassess the situation. To try to figure out what, like, what do you mean? Can I reassess the situation? They were very concerned about the amount of hate speech and evil meanness that could be going on on Twitter now that Donald Trump is back. Now, I'd, I'd like to point out that the left is still all over Twitter being incredibly evil and corrupt and lying and threatening and what have you is all possible. But nobody has a problem with it. Literally, nobody on the left has a problem with it. CBS News did not say, my God, this Twitter is a cesspool a pit of left-wing Antifa planning and everything and it needs to stop and threatening people. No, nope, there was none of that. There was no concern for that. But Donald Trump returns to Twitter and CBS News says we need to evaluate whether or not we're going to stay on this, the current situation, for safety reasons. Really? You got to you got to evaluate that that's what you're doing. Well, they lo and behold decided I assume they went to all the other platforms out there and there are a bunch of them propping, popping up and the left is trying to build them up. And they went to all of them and they said none of these come close to having the reach of Twitter. So we need to go back on Twitter. And that's what it was and they said, "Oh, after our evaluation, we have discovered that uh, Twitter is a okay for now." <laughs> Okay. All right. But uh, all of this was because Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, is, if he wanted to, and he doesn't want to, he said publicly he doesn't want to, but is allowed to post on that platform, if he so chooses, like a free and sentient human being. One would think that that would be uh, of interest to a member of Congress, but no. It is not of interest to a member of Congress. Listen to Adam Schiff talk about how it's a terrible mistake to put Donald Trump back on Twitter. So I want to begin with the news overnight that Donald Trump has been reinstated by Elon Musk on Twitter. Watching the January 6th committee hearings, Trump's tweets were a big part of the story to be told. What, what do you think of him being back on Twitter? I think it's a terrible mistake, and you're absolutely right. As we showed in the January 6th hearings, the president used that platform to incite that attack on the Capitol. Uh, his comments about the vice president, his own vice president, put Mike Pence's life uh, in danger. He showed no remorse about that. Uh, he continues to lie about uh, his actions on that day. 
He talks about pardoning the people who attacked police officers and attacked the Capitol that day. Uh, and it contradicts what Elon Musk uh, said, that he was going to establish a council to evaluate this uh, and, and further contradicts uh, Musk uh, and his claimed concern about bots on his own platform uh, to subject the decision to a poll in a platform that could be easily abused that way. Uh, it just underscores the, the erratic leadership of Twitter now under Musk, but also the security concerns uh, with security people fleeing Twitter uh, and what that means for the protection of Americans' uh, private data. Oh, no. He's yet another one trying to parlay this, something he doesn't like, decided by a private company, into a reason to criminalize and congressionally investigate. It's, it's genuinely fascism. So we got Adam Schiff whining about, oh my goodness, security concerns, people's private data, so on and so forth. You got to love that. These people would spy on you in a heartbeat. They don't, they're looking for cover. They're trying to find some way to get people to care about what they care about. And what they care about is that Elon Musk owns, owns Twitter now. That Elon Musk owns Twitter and he is no longer censoring the president of the United States. That's what upsets the left. People like Schiff. They don't really give a damn about anything else. Let's be honest. Because if you're worried about private, oh, the privacy team has left, yeah. And the diversity, equity, and inclusion team have left, too. They've been fired, as well they should. And the people who were seemingly banning only conservatives, they got invited to leave as well, too. And that's all well and good if you are at all interested in people being able to express themselves. Now, I understand there are going to be some people out there who recognize that Twitter is a company, and everybody should recognize Twitter is a private company. So what Twi Twitter is not subjected to the First Amendment. But Twitter's owner is a big fan of free speech. Now, sadly, I think if the left were doing the things they used to do, Elon Musk would have never bought Twitter. What do I mean by that? There was a time when the left was the side of free speech. Now, the right wasn't against free speech at all, but the left, it was crucial. It was important. It was uh, their hill to die on. The ACLU defended Nazis marching in Skokie, Illinois. It was so damned important. Skokie, Illinois had, a, I think, the highest concentration of Holocaust survivors, in the, if not the world, at least the United States. And so the Nazis in this country, a group of idiots playing dress-up, but idiots nonetheless, hate-mongers, they chose Skokie, Illinois, specifically for that purpose, to be as provocative as possible. The government of Skokie, Illinois, said, no, we're not going to grant you permission to march. And in stepped the American Civil Liberties Union to say, you can't, government, you can't do that not a function of government. It is the most reprehensible speech that is in need of protection. Popular speech doesn't need protection. It's the bad stuff that does. And why you sit there and you go, well, why would anybody want to defend the bad stuff? Well, because what is today's bad? Everybody can agree. Oh, my God, Nazis are terrible. Yes, yes, yes. But once you get that going, once you accept the concept that some speech can be banned, then who's to say where that line is drawn? Everybody will agree, or most people will agree at the beginning, going, oh, yeah, no, these people should be 
carved out. These people are terrible. Let's get rid of them. And all those people are awful. Let's get rid of them. But in short order, you will come to a point where somebody says, and we need to get rid of these ones. And somebody else will say, well, no, wait a second. No, 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 no. There's nothing. There's nothing. I believe. I say that. You can't ban that. Well, uh, sorry. But we took a vote. Majority says that that is horrible. You've got to go. So you're banned and you're off of the committee deciding these things. And everybody goes, and that one person is kicking and screaming as they're dragged out of the room saying, what are you doing? I'm not a, I'm not the monster. And then they go, all right, next, we need to get rid of somebody else. And it's lather, rinse, repeat. It keeps happening over and over again. And then suddenly the slice of what is and isn't acceptable becomes very narrow, becomes very narrow. And you stray from that and you can stray from that accidentally at certain points. Think of it as the communists. They controlled speech. If you're critical of the government, and it didn't have to be all that good. You didn't even have to actually be critical. If you ticked off your manager, <laughs> if you ticked off your or your boss or your boss ticked you off or you ticked off your neighbor or what have you, they could call their local guy and say, look, uh, my neighbor, uh, Sergey, he's saying some mean things about uh, the, the premier right now. He's, he's questioning whether or not the government is really all about the working man. And then that person gets disappeared. Because why not? What do they care? To, to the totalitarian, the individual is disposable, not even expendable, disposable, irrelevant. So that's why you guard against the concept, any encroachment on individual rights. You guard against that concept because it's a slippery slope. While Adam Schiff will go on CBS and say, oh, or whatever, MSNBC, and go, oh, it's terrible that Donald Trump is back on Twitter. It's a threat to security and everything. And we need to worry because the the in addition to Donald Trump spreading his hate back out there on uh, Twitter, you've also got uh, the security concerns. What about everybody's data? What about everybody? Now, the government collects more data on you than you could ever possibly fathom. Everything you do, the government somewhere, at uh, Langley headquarters, CIA, FBI, somebody's watching you. They're not watching you specifically. Nobody's individually that important, but they're collecting it. And if over time a pattern develops, they might want to look a little bit further than you. If you, one of your exes is working at one of these agencies, they might want to pick through your stuff anyway just for fun. One of your friends from high school or your enemies from high school, they might want to do that. The government is collecting all of it. For what reasons, we don't know. They won't say. They barely admit that they do it. But they do. I think James Clapper actually committed perjury before Congress a few years back, saying that, no, we don't collect large amounts of data on the American people. And it turns out they were collecting every bit of data they could get their hands on. But it's different when you're a Democrat in good standing. You can commit perjury, and it's it's all good. It's also different is while... Adam Schiff will sit there and whine about some employees. Now, he trusts employees at Twitter. Now, why would he trust employees at Twitter with protecting people's personal information? 
Well, because those employees that were that left or were fired were lefties. They were on his team. It doesn't matter. You're on the team. You're on the team. It doesn't matter where your paycheck comes from, right? You know the secret handshake. What he doesn't care about is this story from CBS News. Interesting. I haven't heard any liberal outrage over this. Law enforcement agencies will boost surveillance online and in person in an effort to protect communities from hate crimes, New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced on Sunday. Now, isn't that interesting? To protect people against what could happen. Now, it's incredibly rare that it happens ever, but they want to protect not against normal people and not against crimes of just getting the crap beat out of you because somebody wants to steal your wallet or your jewelry, which is on the rise and going through the roof in New York City. She's not concerned about that kind of crime. It's about protected class kind of crime because Democrats don't really care about crime. They don't. They wouldn't have come up with the concept of cashless bail if they actually gave a damn about people who were victims of crimes. They're more concerned about the people who commit the crimes and the so-called structural racism that caused them to commit those crimes. Like, eh, you know what? Maybe being called a name, I don't believe this most of the time anyway, but maybe being called a name when you were a kid is not a justification for beating the holy hell out of some 80-year-old Asian woman who was walking down the street or some Orthodox Jew who happened to be walking past you down uh, one of the New York City's streets. It's just not. To the left, it is. To normal people, it isn't. The governor's order, CBS uh, News reports, directs New York State Police to ramp up monitoring on social media and through physical outreach to identify hateful sentiments and possible threats to, quote, communities that are potential targets of hate crimes. You believe that crap? Communities that are potential. Sorry, I don't know what that noise is. Communities that are potential targets of hate crimes. State police will coordinate with federal authorities and local bureaus, including New York City Police Department. Acting Superintendent Stephen Negrilli said in a statement. It's all pre-crime. If you ever watched that, uh, I can't remember the name of that Tom Cruise movie. Um, The pre-crime thing. Hochul, who earlier this year directed state police to create an intelligence unit that forces on tracking domestic extremism. See, this is where they get into. This is where they're trying to criminalize anybody who doesn't agree with them. Plain and simple, straight to the point. That's what they're trying to do. Criminalize anybody who does not agree with them politically. Domestic extremism. There are whistleblowers in the FBI who have gone to members of the United States Senate pointing out how FBI officials from Washington, meaning political appointees and people basking in the political glow, have demanded that they be pulled off of, say, child molestation, child sex trafficking cases to follow up on January 6th stories, how people's houses are being raided who weren't even there January 6th, or people who were not anywhere near the Capitol were just in Washington. Why? Because those numbers add up. Those numbers add up to gold for people like Adam Schiff and Joe Biden and people in Washington, D.C., who want to criminalize dissent from them, not criminalize dissent from Republicans, criminalize dissent from Democrats. 
Why and how? Well, it's pretty simple. The number of terror, domestic terror extreme cases are through the roof. Well, no, you just you just raided the home of an 80-year-old woman who drove to Washington, D.C. for the January 6th rally, went nowhere near the Capitol. But she now counts in that statistic. Just like those hate crimes, those hate crime stats. It's really easy to juice the books on hate crime stats. Why? Because nobody bothers to follow up on them. Oh, my God, I was assaulted because of the color of my skin or what I wear on my head. And then a week later, surveillance footage shows that nobody assaulted you. You were just late and your parents were mad and you came up with an excuse. Well, the original story goes into the bin of hate crime statistics and it doesn't come out because you lied about it or were exposed as a fraud. Somewhere out there, the Jussie Smollett case is still counted as a hate crime for whatever year it was that that happened. What was that, 2019 or something like that? It, it still counts in those things. Why? Because nobody bothered to separate it out. There is no follow-up. There is no conclusion. And realistically, if you want to know honest statistics, if you really care about honest statistics, you would demand that those statistics not be based on arrests, but be based on convictions or plea deals, Right? Wouldn't that be the unit of measure? Anybody can claim that they have been a victim of a hate crime. Anybody can, can't prove that they were the victim of a hate crime. Therein lies the rub. That's the difference. They don't count them that way. Why? Because the number of hate crimes in this country where people are actually convicted would be infinitesimal compared to the rest of the stats in crime people would then have a perspective where they go, hey, wait a second, maybe this country isn't as horribly racist and awful as the left is telling us. Well, that can't, can't be allowed. That can't be allowed. The only stats they don't allow in to cook the books for hate crimes is crimes against evil whitey, right? They don't actually even pretend that that's a hate crime even if you're screaming racial slurs as you're beating up the old white lady on the streets of new york that's not important but don't worry new york is going to start doing in-person surveillance on people that they have deemed by violation seemingly of uh, government surveillance and privacy rights that adam schiff was so concerned about of their social media footprint and maybe getting access to their emails and maybe their text messages and who knows what else government in new york is going after you adam schiff doesn't care he's concerned that twitter might target ads towards you in a more meaningful way and that's problematic for them or something it's unbelievable quote amid recent threats to jewish and lgbtq communities i have directed new york police new york state police to ramp up monitoring and increase support for communities that are potential targets of hate crimes Communities that are potential targets for hate crimes. Threats. They don't have to say that amongst threats to Jewish communities. Those, those assaults are actually up in New York. The LGBTQ, probably not. But why do I say probably not? Because if it were, we would have heard about it. Right? Jews in New York, the left doesn't really care about. They're, they're kind of anti-Semitic. LGBTQ, they're down with the cause. They would report that ad nauseum if there was an increase in assaults even the human rights watch which does a uh, 
an annual report on the number of murders of in this year is the number of murders of trans people. It's alarming, they say. And you looked it up. I think it was it was either thirty three or thirty four trans people had been murdered this year, killed this year. And you think that's actually that's like a slow weekend in Chicago. Like this Thanksgiving weekend, probably going to see more people at least attempted murdered, but more people probably killed in Chicago over the upcoming four day weekend than that. Not to belittle anybody's murder, but if you go through the Human Rights Campaign's website, and I did some of it, I didn't go through all of it, didn't have time to research 34 different deaths. But one of the, one guy was like brought home a trans woman. They met at a liquor store slash gas station, and they never met before. They had a brief conversation, and then she got into his pickup truck and drove home with him, where uh, he apparently killed the trans woman. Now, I don't want to assume too much. But most people in the middle of the night when they're picked up at a gas station after a brief conversation are not sitting there saying, hey, can we go someplace and have a conversation about our mutual love of stamp collecting? There is more than likely prostitution involved. And in most of these cases, if you dig through them, you will find drugs and or prostitution involved. Doesn't justify the murder. Doesn't justify anybody killing anybody in any way, shape, or form, but it does give it important context that the left wants to deny you for very specific reasons. They want you to think that they were killed just because they were trans, whereas maybe, who knows, it could have been a drug deal gone bad. There's no justification for killing anybody, but a reason over another reason is important, isn't it? It isn't to the left. They don't want to give you the details unless the details help them, which is why you should always look out for the details. And if the details are not readily apparent, they're giving you all the details you need to know at that point. It's just so stupid that New York is going to start spying on America. They're looking for an excuse to spy on Americans, and they're, they've, they've found one. They'll exploit anything they can. This coming this weekend from Hochul is, my goodness, We've got uh, uh, this horrible hate crime that happened in, I don't even remember where, Denver or whatever, wherever the uh, gay club was shot up by some monster. We don't know the motives of it yet, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to know the motives for a Democrat to exploit it. And the motives don't, it doesn't, look at what they did with Nancy Pelosi's husband. Look at what they did with Nancy Pelosi's husband. They didn't know the first damn thing about it. And then even when we found out, oh, he's a Canadian illegal alien, nudist, leftist, nut job, lives in like a commune, lives in a Black Lives Matter house. Like, oh, it's all those MAGA Republicans that caused Paul Pelosi to have his skull cracked. And they went along with it. They still go along with it. They still, they don't care about the truth. Nancy Pelosi, this one from UK Daily Mail, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi marked Transgender Remembrance Day by tearing into MAGA Republicans in, and implicating them in the Colorado LGBTQ nightclub shooting that left five dead overnight. Five people died when a 22-year-old opened fire at Club Q in Colorado Springs Saturday night. Another 25 
were injured. Quote Nancy Pelosi, as our nation marks Transgender Day of Remembrance, the House Democratic Caucus mourns the countless Americans stolen away by the scourge of transphobic violence, a crisis that continues to disproportionately harm trans people of color. They always find it's horrible what's happening to these trans people, especially horrible what's happening to trans people of color. Why? Why are like trans people of color not just being killed, but they're being like tortured along the way? Are they slowly being killed? Like, is there something specifically horrible? No. No, they just want to single them out. Why? Because why not? Because that's what Democrats do. <laughs> Pelosi, who is stepping down from Democratic leadership, went on, quote, that fight remains more urgent than ever as right-wing extremists target transgender Americans' most fundamental rights and freedoms. Yes, the fundamental right and freedom to shake your genitals in the faces of elementary school and preschool kids. Yeah, congratulations on that hard-fought right. Who was the, uh, who's the Susan B. Anthony of that hard-fought right? Who's the, the, uh, <laughs> who's the Rosa Parks? of transgender genital rubbing in children's faces. Whether spouting dangerous rhetoric from cable news desks or openly bullying school children from the halls of power, MAGA Republicans are cruelly undermining the safety and well-being of our transgender community. If Nancy came out as transgender, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But she's a horrible person. She's a horrible person who deserves bad things to happen to her. To sit there and exploit this, we don't know. It could change. Maybe this guy was a MAGA Republican going out to kill as many gay people as he could. Who knows? Maybe he's gay. Maybe he's closeted gay. Whatever it is, the guy is mentally unstable and evil. Which, to my mind, puts him squarely in the camp of Democrats, if you just want to be honest about it. But to sit there and watch these people try and exploit this, it's like you can't drive past a cemetery with a Democrat because they need to stop. It's compulsion to stop so they can dance all over as many graves as they possibly can. It's a sickness. One assumes they carry a Bluetooth speaker with them all the time so that they might be able to have music to dance on graves should they come across a cemetery or a funeral. She's so gross. So, oh, she's so historic. I don't really care. Something horrible happens to Nancy Pelosi. Well, it seems as though that uh, it would be horrible and wrong. But when something horrible happens to somebody else, Nancy Pelosi is right there to exploit it for her own advancement. She's still sending out emails trying to raise as much money as humanly possible. I just did a search in my email for Nancy Pelosi. There's a ton of them. Let's see. Oh, here's a, comes with a picture of her from Pelosi at Congress. Good Lord. That picture is airbrushed like you wouldn't believe. Can I have a moment? I just announced that I'm not running for the Democratic leadership of the next Congress, but I will continue to represent my beloved San Francisco in the House of Representatives. I am honored to help bring up the next generation of Democratic leaders that will move our country forward. And I couldn't be more excited at what they achieve. We're in good hands. But make no mistake, this doesn't mean I'm abandoning the fight to elect Democrats or our democracy. So it's my honor to announce the Pelosi Legacy Fund. Because she 
doesn't want to have to. She's got $300 million. She doesn't want to have to pay for her own travel. So she sets up the Pelosi Legacy Fund. You can live off that. To continue the work we started. Every dollar we raise will help fund our work to elect incredible Democrats, defeat extremist Republicans who want to unroll our progress and support our incredible new Democratic leadership that will fight for working families. Yeah, as long as there's a cross-dresser in there who wants it. You know, the real question is, what kind of, it's not, but it is what kind of parent brings their kid to a, a, a basically a, a gyration show, a dry hump show. That's what it is. But it's also what kind of adult wants to do that for kids. Oh, it's uh, it's story hour. And then, you know, right before we get out there, let me show you what I do, kids. Go ahead and turn on the warrant, and I'll start grinding against you. Look at their faces. They're all smiling. Yeah, they're all confused. They're all terrified. And they're wondering what in the hell their parents are doing, cheering and screaming and giving them dollar bills sticking these G-strings. Democrats have no problem with any of that. Democrats like that, as a matter of fact. Those are the people for whom Democrats would go to bat. Those are the people whose rights Democrats are very concerned about. Your rights to privacy, not interested. Unless you want to have an abortion, then you can have that. That's a right to privacy, and it's so private, and it's just between you and your doctor. And the government, if your doctor doesn't say go have an abortion. you imagine being a doctor? You say, hey, I think you should carry this kid to term, and I'm not going to perform an abortion on you. Well, then suddenly the doors open up to that private room and say, hey, I'm the government. You need to do this. You must do this. It's just to do this. How, how do you figure? Doesn't matter. Don't question it. Just do it. It's a private choice between a woman or doctor and her local politicians, the national politicians, and any other politician who happens to agree with the Democrat Party politics on this thing and wants to use tax dollars to fund Planned Parenthood, thereby using tax dollars to fund the Democratic Party, the circle of life as they call it on the left. Frankly, to hell with all of these people. Honestly, if, uh, you know, you sit there, I won't cheer anybody having any bad things, but I won't shed a tear for them either. I won't care. You watch these leftists on TV, and at a certain point, you just get sick of everything that they do and everything they are and everything they complain about. And you go, all right, well, why am I supposed to care? Why would I ever care? Why would I? You just can't come up with a reason. Even just basic humanity isn't enough anymore. It isn't. I want to play this clip from Michael Eric Dyson. Frequently, sometimes he's an MSNBC contributor, sometimes he's not. He is uh, the Centennial Chair and University Distinguished Professor of African American and Diaspora Studies in the College of Arts and Science at the and University Distinguished Professor of Ethics and Society in the Divinity School at Vanderbilt University. That is one of the longest titles you will ever see in your life for a horrible race-baiting human being. That's what Michael Eric Dyson is. He appeared on, uh, oh God, what is that guy's name? He used to appear on Fox all the time, but he started spewing too much racism. And so he went off. Well, he was appearing on his TV show. There's some like 
it's weird. There's race-based news networks now. It started with the race-based websites. I didn't know race had a skin color, but now they have race-based news uh, channels too. And uh, he's talking about how white supremacy is the arbiter of truth in our politic in our politics now. This is a professor. This is somebody is paying this guy high six figures, I would guess, for this sort of uh, wisdom, if you will. Uh, it can be predicted with reasonable confidence that a similar surge will occur. That you know, when you're trying to catch one of these Lyfts or Ubers, and you're dealing with the surge, <laughs> and during the surge you pay more. That's what it, we pay more. We pay more during the surges of of Trump and white nationalism. We pay uh, in terms of political uh, capital that's precious to us. We pay in terms of lives lost. We pay in terms of an erosion of the American spirit. We pay in the refusal to acknowledge that white supremacy is the ultimate arbiter of truth in our political scene. Yeah, white supremacy is the ultimate arbiter of truth in our political scene, right. You'd think at some point somebody might just mention to these leftists who are really, they're presiding over the destruction of the black community, by the way. Baltimore reached 300 murders again this year, just yesterday. Congratulations, Baltimore. And not a single one of these race baiters who make their money off of it has said a damn thing about it. They don't care. They do not care. It's evil whitey. White, supre- white supremacy is not roaming the streets of Baltimore, killing young black men or killing black kids because somebody's got horrible aim and they just shoot indiscriminately towards somebody they hate for whatever reason that they probably can't articulate. Nobody cries for them. Occasionally when a, when a kid gets killed, they go, oh, this is terrible and it just needs to stop. But there's no money in it. It's weird. All the money comes from the left, comes from complaining about how evil white supremacy is ruining everything. White supremacy is not causing any black person to murder another black person. It's not white supremacy. White supremacists actually benefit from that. If you hate somebody because of the color of their skin, then people, them killing each other, that'd be great. All right. Who cares? But if you, uh, there's no cause, there's no white supremacist pulling the strings. If you want to fight white supremacy, wouldn't you go, we need to stop what has gotten white supremacy sexually aroused. This is what gotten white supremacists super excited about it. And that's the murder of black people. But they don't ever talk about the murder of black people. They don't seem to give a damn about the murder of black people. You might almost think that they're white supremacists, but then ultimately you realize that the entire concept of white supremacy is a damn joke, and what you're really dealing with there is just a flow of money, influence, and power. The same as you do with everything else. Everybody else on the left, they're interested in money, influence, and power. Period. End of story. They use different delivery devices to get there. It's just like the old Yogi Berra saying, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. It sounds funny, and it is funny, but he lived sort of in a weird cul-de-sac kind of thing that if you're going down his street and it split, it turned into a circle. It didn't matter which way you took. You were going to end up at Yogi Berra's house. So when you came to the fork in the road, take it. 
doesn't matter how you get to the end result. You want money, influence, power. Doesn't matter if you're going to use gender, sexuality, race, whatever you got. You need to find a way to get to that house, that center location. You say, everybody go to Iowa. Well, depending on where you start out with from, everybody's going to get there a different way. But Iowa is the objective for the left. It's the money, influence, power. That's what they care about. So you get Michael Eric Dyson. His chosen means of conveyance is race. Just straight up race. And so he does it. He finds it everywhere he goes, everywhere he thinks. He is not out there writing think pieces about the murders. He doesn't give a damn about Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, nothing. These are black-controlled cities. People of color are being murdered. Nancy Pelosi will say, oh, the transgender, it's a horrible time. 33, 34 transgender people killed in the course of a year. And it's a tragedy that is particularly hitting the trans people of color. Well, you know what's hitting the people of color harder than anything else? Straight up murder. Straight up murder, Nancy. Do you give a damn about that? Do you care? No, she doesn't mention it. She's done nothing about it. She doesn't care about it. She doesn't care. What's weird is we're past the point in the Democratic Party politics where they're even asked about it anymore. They're not even asked about it anymore. It's just accepted and nobody should talk about it. Don't talk about the fact that we don't really care that black people get murdered, okay? Yeah, all right. We know that. We'll do that unless they're unless we find out that they're gay or if we find out that they've got something else going on or they were killed by the right person, then you will pretend to care. But until then, they don't give a damn. If they can't help Democrats advance the money, influence, and power, the trifecta of their existence, they might as well have not have been born. It's like these people might as well have not even been murdered. That's the Democratic Party in 2022 and beyond. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit to just talk about what in, uh, you know, they had the big COP27. You got to love that. COP27. It's an annual conference. All these nations get together, some exotic locale to talk. I think this time it was in uh, Egypt to talk about climate and what we, we meaning us, have to do to appease them, meaning the elite leftists, and in order to save the climate. Now, most of these people fly there private, live the high life. They have suites. Now, I guarantee you John Kerry was over there. Joe Biden swung by. The suite that uh, John Kerry had as our climate czar was not left to the elements unless and until John Kerry got to his suite, right? It wasn't like, oh, you know what? You can set the thermostat to uh, 95. Let that go up to 95 if you want. Turn it off. Turn off the air conditioner. When I'm not there, every time I leave the No. I guarantee you he wanted the room at a very comfortable temperature for his return whenever it was, whenever it happened. John Kerry is hundreds of millions of dollars himself and married a billionaire. So he is not somebody who's going to allow things to... Uh, to go the wayside, to go 
On, I bet you he's just one of the highest maintenance people on the face of the earth. My God, how horrible of a person would John Kerry be to work for? Just imagine you had to work for that guy. Anyway, they decided, all these countries, they came together and decided what? That they have a solution to climate change or they have an answer, whatever they're going to do for climate change. It is to put together a reparations package because somehow it's weird it's weird they never really explain how this happens it's weird how we western countries cause all the climate change majority white countries europe cause all these problems they don't ever really seem to go after asia for some reason And all the countries that are negatively impacted by the alleged climate change are minority countries, are mostly black countries in Africa. Poor countries in Africa. Some poor countries in South America, but they don't really get the kind of ink that poor countries in Africa get. And it's because it fits the the left's racial dynamic. Whitey evil, black victim. And so these rich countries got together... And without consulting us, because they would never consult us, they decided that we're going to all have to contribute to the fund to spread the wealth around. Now, this is kind of funny. If you ever go to a dinner, and sometimes you go to these dinners and everybody knows somebody who's like, oh, we've got to order everything on the menu. Like, hey, let's get 10 people together. We'll go to dinner. We'll order everything on the menu and we'll order five bottles of wine and we'll do this and we'll do that. And like suddenly they're taking charge and you're sitting there going, I don't want any wine. I'm driving. So I'm good on that front. So you're, you're, you can probably knock a couple bottles of wine. No, no, no. We're going to do this. And oh, I want to try this thing. And you order all these appetizers. Like, I'm not interested in squid. So I'm not interested in bone marrow. I'm not interested in whatever. Why don't you just order what you want and pay for it? And I'll order what I want and pay for it. No, 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 no. And they order everything like they're conducting an orchestra. And then they come in and say, well, we'll just, we'll just split the bill. Like, I didn't know. I'm not. I always bring cash for just such an occasion because the, you never know. Like, I don't, I don't want to try new food. I don't want to try your appetizers. I'm not going to drink because I'm driving. I'm not interested in all this stuff. So I'll just order my food and pay for it. And you can do whatever the hell you want with everybody else at the table. It's just wildly annoying. Leftists are kind of like that, except they're with, with, they don't even put in their share of money. It's just everybody else's. And they want to make up a collection to pay environmental reparations, climate change reparations to poor countries. It is just what the left has always wanted to do for decades. It's a wealth transfer. From the haves to the have-nots. Now, they have spent years building up relationships with the dictators in have-not countries. Just as a coincidence, I'm sure their beak is not going to get wet. But listen to MSNBC report on this and then acknowledge that uh, the United well, they don't say the United States will, but we probably will as long as Joe Biden is president. We'll pony up. But the rest of the world probably won't pony up on this thing. It's all just virtue signaling, except for the dumb countries like a Joe Biden-led United States of America. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. COP27, the United Nations uh, Big Climate Summit, it wrapped up today. Two weeks of talks concluded with diplomats of nearly 200 nations agreeing to establish a fund that would help developing nations cope with climate disasters made worse by wealthy nations. NBC's Raf Sanchez is in Tel Aviv for us with more on this. Talk to me about this. This is historic, really, Raf. How is this fund going to work? So, yes, when the basic principle here, rich countries emitted most of the carbon that causes climate change, poor countries suffering the most acute effects in terms of fire, flooding, famine, drought, you name it. This fund is designed to help them mitigate some of that damage to compensate them. And this is a big deal because poor countries have been pushing for this principle for decades. They have now secured this agreement. But of course, the devil is in the detail. We do not have a dollar figure for this fund. We don't know how much each rich country is going to contribute. And it is one thing for wealthy countries to say they're going to pay up. It's another for them to actually pay up. I thought it was one thing for them to say they're going to pay up. It's another thing for them to actually pay up. Joe Biden will try to pay up. Joe Biden will probably offer to pay everybody else's bill as well. But he sits there and they go, oh, this is terrible. Now, if you sit there and you go, they've tried for decades to try and get this money. Maybe if they'd burnt some of their calories, I don't know, building infrastructure, clearing brush away so there are fewer fires, um, maybe building some infrastructure so you can get some irrigation. A lot of these third world hellholes are in deserts, right? deserts uh, there's a drought in death valley it's somebody some environmental lunatic will go oh my god it's horrible and it's all climate change's fault whereas a normal human being would go well it is a desert you should probably look up what the definition of desert is same for los angeles southern california it used to be a desert it didn't just stop being a desert human beings transformed it from being a desert through irrigation now they screwed that up and it's going through droughts and having water issues because they're stupid. But most of these problems are, are self-caused. I'm not going to subsidize that. That is all the time we have for today. Fear not, we'll be back to do it all again tomorrow because the world never, ever sleeps, never stops, never does nothing. And sometimes, even when you wish it would, it just won't leave you alone. Good Lord, but don't worry. I'm here to make sense of it all for you. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great one.